And it's in view of that that I really tremble as I stand before you today and think about talking about this. It's not uh, that I fear the responsibility of discussing what the Bible teaches, but rather the tremendous responsibility of helping us raise our sights and change our attitudes in reference to matters such as I want to talk about today. I think perhaps that uh, our discussion of the subject sometimes has helped to create a bad taste in the eyes of some of us, and that some of us have had wrong attitudes, which has resulted also in a subject like this having a bad taste. I'm going to try today to do all within my power to take this subject and put it on a different level, create a different atmosphere from which we can think about it as we consider the responsibilities and the opportunities of the new year and after the close of the service today, purpose cards will be passed out. And I trust that as a result of our study today that I can help you come to have a better attitude toward this. In the 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said uh, that he had given orders to the churches of Galatia and to the church at Corinth to lay by and store upon the first day of the week as God hath prospered them. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 becomes a commentary upon that. I think it's interesting to look at the words that Paul used in this chapter. The word money is not found anywhere in the chapter. We find the word grace. We find the word joy. We find the words liberality. We find the words bounty or blessing. These are the kind of words that's used in the discussion of the contribution that was to be used for the needy uh, saints that were in Palestine. I do not believe that it's by accident that Paul was careful in the selection of the words that he used to try to take the <clears throat> matter of giving and transfigure and transform it and place it in a spiritual atmosphere rather than our thinking about it from the standpoint of dollar marks and dollars and cents and in a commercial way. And I think this is what we need to try to do, and that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. Instead of, and while I will be thinking about the budget and purpose cards, I'm going to do all that I can to raise it to a higher level and place it in a realm where I believe that God places it and to help us think about it from that standpoint and create within our own hearts and minds a different attitude as we come to think about the subject. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5 of that chapter, Paul says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you, before unto you, and make up beforehand your bounty, 
The margin says blessed. Whereof ye had to notice before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty or blessing and that not as of covetousness. The American Standard Version says not as of extortion. I think that's significant. Paul said that he sent some people ahead to encourage the Corinthians that they would give, that they'd give with the right attitude of mind and heart, so that when he came, it would not be necessary for him to say anything about it. Lest his having to say anything about it, it should lead to pressure, and thereby the matter of extortion. And Paul didn't want it to be that way. And so here are some brethren that was coming to explain the matter, to encourage the church to think about it and to understand some things about that contribution that will help them give to make that contribution so that it would be acceptable unto the Lord. I pray this morning that as we face the new year and think about the budget, and it will not come into our minds uh, of something that the elders are trying to extort from us. That out of pressure, that they're trying to raise money. It'll be sad if that's the case. We'll have a total misunderstanding of what, what is involved. I think that it will indicate a lack of understanding some fundamental things about the Christian life. And that's what I hope that I can help us appreciate today. As you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there are some things in the chapter, I think, that set the tone that we need to try to develop as we think about the matter of giving. Why does one give? What is the motivation for it? What's it all about? And the answer is redemption. That's why I give. And if that's not why I give, then I misunderstood what giving's all about. The Macedonians gave in an acceptable way, but their, their giving began with our appreciation of redemption. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 8 and 1 says. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wear to the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And I trust that as we think about the matter of purposing for the coming year, that instead of thinking just about dollars and cents that we'll think about redemption and all of its meaning. I think that's fundamental. If I develop the right attitude, number one, toward what I give and the amount that I give. In Matthew 13 and verse 44, we have a parable that Jesus gave where a man found a hidden treasure. The Bible says, 
that for joy he went and sold all that he had that he might buy. I think we need to underscore the word joy. Here is one that had found something that was worth more than anything that he had in life. Not out of pressure, but out of the joy of what he found. He said, I'll give everything I have in order to have it. Jesus said, the kingdom is God's like that. Is that what the kingdom of God means to me? Is that what redemption means to me? I doubt seriously. If I'll ever come to look at this subject like I need to look at it, like I must look at it, until and unless I can develop an appreciation for redemption, that makes me realize that there's all that there is in this world is not to be compared with the joy of being in the kingdom of God. That's the, also the very word that's used uh, in this chapter. In uh, verse 2 it says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy And therefore, the very foundation and the basis of our thinking about giving will be measured and determined by the joy that there is in being a Christian and an appreciation of what it means to be a child of God. In the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, when the law had been read and they were <clears throat> reading the law, Ezra was reading the law and they were giving them the sense so that they could understand what it's all about. Then the people became grieved. And uh, then Nehemiah said unto them, This won't do. This is a day that's holy. Then he made this significant statement. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What do you mean by that? He realized that with the responsibility that they were facing, that if they looked at it from the standpoint of being a grief and a joy, they would never accomplish what they needed to accomplish. So he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's true. And that is the way we need to look at it. That's the way it was with the Macedonians. The joy of the Lord was their strength. Thus out of deep affliction and poverty, they gave liberty. Is that the way I think about it? When I come to think about 
planning and purposing in relation to giving. Do I pause to think about what the Lord has done for me in redeeming my soul from sin and ruin? And out of the joy that wells up in my soul, that overflows in gratitude for what God has done for me, then to look at my giving and say, I want it to be all that I can and even did. It seems to be so little. Is that the way I look at it? That's the way I think about it. I believe that's the Bible way to think about it. And I think that's the way we're going to have to come to think about it. If we don't, I tremble to think of what will be the eternal consequences of our soul. But note also that in chapter 9, in the place of the word bounty, there is the word blessed. And I think that's the word that ought to be there, instead of the word bounty. That's the word in the margin, and Barry's in a linear uses the word blessed instead of the word bound. And the background of that is found in the 33rd chapter of the book of Genesis. You recall the story of how that uh, as a result of Jacob cheating Esau out of the birthright and having to leave home, and in chapter 33 we have the account of Jacob is now returning home, and uh, as he's uh, returning home and thinks about the matter of meeting Esau and all the things that go through his mind. But in chapter 33 of Genesis, we in that account that's given in verse 8 uh, of that chapter, Jacob said, what meanest thou by the, all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought thee. There's the background of Paul saying what he did in 2 Corinthians 9 concerning the contribution that was being taken for the needy saints. Here's Jacob realized the alienation that had developed between Jacob and Esau. When he came back, he said, Esau, I want you to take this. And Esau said, I don't need it. But Jacob said, I have found grace in thy sight. I want you to have it. And I'm giving it to you as a blessing. Now look at the attitude that Jacob had. Esau said, Jacob, I have all I need. I don't want that. But Jacob said, 
Don't discourage me. I want you to have it. Paul said that's the way he was encouraging the church at Corinth to give. With the attitude that here's what they wanted the Lord to have for his cause. Suppose the elders would say today, the budget's taken care of for next year. We don't want you to give. You just keep what you have. What would be my reaction? Would I be glad and say, how fortunate. That we are to have men like that. They're going to take care of it. The only way I could ever say a thing like that. Is not to know the meaning of redemption. When I realized that I found grace in the eyes of God. How could I. If they came to me and said it's all taken care of. How could I rest. And not be like Jacob. And say, oh, but I want to. I couldn't be satisfied to have it any other way. We need to remember that what we're giving is not because the Lord needs it. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. But what I need to think about is how much God has done for me and I want him to have. And I can't rest without doing so. And when I think about the budget, then I'll think about it from the standpoint of being a blessing. A blessing to me and a blessing to others. And it's a blessing because of the goodness and the greatness of God Almighty. Because of all that he's done for me. But then there's another interesting thing in 2 Corinthians 8. And I think that uh, in order to appreciate <clears throat> the things that are said in that uh, chapter, we need to think about it. Verse 8. Of 2 Corinthians 8 says that they begin, not verse 8, but rather verse 4, I believe it is, says that they first of all gave themselves to the Lord. Verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You know, I think to understand that passage, you've got to realize that. The Christian life begins by giving. And I have understood the Christian life unless I realize that it begins by giving. And that's what the passage says of the Macedonians. They gave themselves. 
I think that's significant. That the very nature of Christianity and the response to what God has done for us causes us to come to God and say, I give myself to thee. Here I am. And that's what Christianity is about. Now note, Paul said, they first of all gave themselves unto God, having given themselves unto God, then Paul said, and unto us by the will of God. Because they had given themselves to God, then when Paul made this appeal, they gave themselves to Paul by the will of God. It wasn't any difficulty at all. We need to think seriously about Matthew 16, 24. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. And the denial of self involves the matter of our giving ourselves to the Lord. Now, is that what I did when I became a Christian? I think our attitude toward giving will be a measure of whether or not that's what we did when we became Christians. If I really gave myself to the Lord, then my attitude toward the matter of material things will be such that I'll rejoice in the opportunity being able to do so. But note also that in <clears throat> this same chapter, Paul points out that the motivation for giving is, and the pattern is in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Now that gets back to what the Macedonians appreciated in the very beginning, that they realized how poor Christ had become. Had you ever realized what Christ gave up in order that I might be a child of God? He laid aside the glory of heaven and took upon himself the form of man, and came to earth and lived among me, and endured the contradiction of sinners, that for the joy that was set before him, did it gladly, in order that I might be a Christian. Now that's what it took. How can I think about what he gave up and not appreciate what I have and the opportunity of being a Christian and the opportunity of helping others? It gets to be a matter of the heart, and that's the reason 2 Corinthians 9 and 6 said, let a man purpose in his heart. You know, we never really do anything well unless we find joy in it. Do you ever have a job that's unpleasant? You may do it, but it's far from doing it as you would if you found satisfaction and joy in it. We must come to the place in the Christian life 
where we learn to do what God asks of us with joy. And I'll never do it like it needs to be done until I find a sense of satisfaction and a joy in doing. Is that the way I look at giving? Is that the way I think about it? Do I find joy in giving and joy in increasing giving and joy in thinking about doing more and more and more? Or is it a burden and a grief and a heartache? The things that I'm talking about this morning are as fundamental to the salvation of our souls if I was talking about baptism. Because this has to do with the very foundation and the attitude of Christian living. It's the basis upon which our life is to be built. Think about the people out in the world who have the attitude, I don't want to hear what the Bible says about baptism and close their minds and hearts to it and will stand before God in judgment and be lost. How tragic. Because of the simplicity, the ease with which I think I can be baptized to do that. And then to close my mind and heart to the fundamental matter. That life, the Christian life, is giving oneself to the Lord. And then from that, it involves a matter of giving. I'm not sure that we've altogether understood. I suspect that 2 Corinthians 9 has been misapplied. Whenever there's the emphasis that's given, where he talks about sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully, every man is a purpose in his own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. That God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. And therefore the idea of giving and the Lord blessing giving is not that I may have more, but that I may give more. That's what that says. I think it's a mistaken idea. To leave the impression that God, when we give, God blesses us so we can have more. God blesses us when we give so we can have more to give. That's what the passage says. And if I don't see the blessings of God upon my life as a means that I may be able to give more, then I'm misinterpreting the very blessings that God is pouring out in my life. That's what Paul said to these people. Give. And the Lord will bless you because you have, not so you can have more, but so you can do more. And that's the way that we need to think about it. But I want us to think before we close our lesson this morning about the idea of the word blessing. I think, as I said, it would have been better if the 
King James, the American Standard, both had used the word blessing instead of bounty. Because I think that's the real, carried with it, the real significance. By the way, listen to Ephesians 1, 3. How we like the word blessing there. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now just think about what all of that means. Think about what the attitude of God while he's doing that. And think again about the attitude of Jacob. When he brings to Esau all these gifts and said, I'm giving it to you as a blessing. Would it not help all of us when it comes time for us to think about purposing? That instead of thinking about the cost to me, I would pause and think that this is a blessing sent on its way by love for souls that are lost and for those that are in need. Paul was saying to the church, the church at, to the church at Corinth, that the contribution that was being taken up among them and being sent to the needy brethren that were in Palestine was a message of love, saying, we want you to know that we love you. And that's the way the Macedonians looked at their giving. How the deep joy that flooded their souls. For those who were suffering in Palestine, they said, we want you to see this contribution as a message of love. And it tells you that we care. That we're concerned. May God help us. as we purpose to think about our contribution as being a blessing. As it goes to men and foreign fields. That it's a message of love from Christians at Adamsville. That as it goes to orphans. That we think about not the cost to us. But that it's a message of love. To lonely. And suffering people. When I think about what I give from that standpoint. How would it be possible for me not to be like the Macedonians and not to sacrifice with joy and to think about what it's doing? 
I believe that this is the way that we need to think about our giving. If you've had the attitude that giving is an unpleasant subject, that once every year we come around to the budget and we're bored and we have to endure it, I pray, God, that's not the case, but if such be the case, I pray that our study this day will cause us all to reevaluate, look into our own hearts, our own attitudes, and come to see it in a different light. And at the end of the service, when the purpose cards are given out, that each family will take one home and with a prayerful, thankful heart think about what you're going to try to do in 1980 in the attitude which I've talked to you about it today. I have a fear that most people in the church that if we're lost, we're going to be lost because of having a wrong attitude about material things. I suspect that in thinking about the parables, very often preachers mention that so many of the parables deal with material things. But the reason that they deal with material things is because of wrong attitudes toward material things. It'd be tragic for me to have lived, obeyed the gospel, been faithful in assembling around the Lord's table, engaging in worship, and finally come to stand before God in judgment, only to be lost because I didn't appreciate spiritual things and I had the wrong attitude toward material things. I hope, among other things, as we, if God lets us live and we bid goodbye to 1979 and enter into 1980, that each one of us can spend more time in trying to think about and develop an appreciation of what it means to be a Christian, and that there will well up within our souls the joy that will overflow. And this will cause us then to give like we ought to give. You know, that's the reason so often that those who do not have much give liberally. is because of the very joy that they have in being a Christian. And this is what we need to develop. I don't think there'll be any problem in our doing what we need to do. If we'll work at what I've talked about today, and I hope you won't forget it. It's serious. It's a matter of life and death. It has to do with our outlook on the Christian life and the how and the manner in which we live. And I've tried my best this morning 
to raise our thinking about what so often is an unpleasant subject and to help us think about it from a godly, spiritual way. And if I have succeeded in doing that, then my time has been well spent this day. If I haven't, then I've done all that I know to do, and I've tried the best I can, and it's because of inability to do it any better. Are you here this morning living in sin without God and without hope? Don't you want to leave that world of sin? Doesn't it thrill your heart to know what God's done to make it possible for you to be a Christian? Does it thrill your soul enough that you're willing to give your very life to the Lord? Not under outward pressure, but inward constraint and gratitude that makes you say, I can't live in sin any longer. I must serve the Lord. And out of that attitude, obey the gospel of Christ. If you're here this morning and need to obey the gospel of Christ, will you not turn in faith? From sin, confess that faith in Christ and be baptized. And then begin that new life with a joy bubbling over in your soul like the man that found the hidden treasure when sold everything he had in order that he might buy. The man that found the pearl of great price is the next parable. And he went sold and bought it. And the next parable is the parable of the net where it was cast out and it caught the good and the bad. And I never thought about that till I was reading that this morning. Is the difference between the good and the bad, the difference between the attitudes expressed in verses 44 and 45 toward the attitude about the kingdom. The invitation's yours. While together we stand and sing.